Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And I am on with Stan Bialecki from Bialecki Farms, which is a market farm in North Eastern Pennsylvania, focusing on year-round production of hydroponic greens, in addition to an assortment of seasonal crops. The farm's growing practices use a combination of old and new technologies, from high-wheel cultivators to high-tech greenhouses. Their produce can be found at area farmers markets, grocery stores, and restaurants. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hi, Michael. Hey, it's great to chat with you here. I mean, we've talked online for years and uh, gone back and forth. I've always been impressed with just how much of the technical detail of growing that you, um, you know, have have researched. And uh, it's great to, you know, be able to chat in person. Yeah, um, it it with hydroponic growing, it requires a high level of uh, technical knowledge for the fact that we do not have uh, a lot of like um, help available. You mm. can pay for help, but it's very expensive. Um, gotcha. like, like for instance, you can, if you go and buy a brand new greenhouse, you can pay for a year of consulting, but even that may not work for you in your region. Mm-hmm. Because tell us a little bit about your region. You're in Pennsylvania, which some people would say it's nice and warm, but you're in the mountains, so it's much yeah. colder. Yeah, we like to refer to this corner of Pennsylvania as, as Alaska. Okay. Um, we our, our growing degree hours is, is less than 1,600. Okay. So that makes it so, like tomatoes, for instance, never would ripen outside. Mm. And so, like, how cold do you can you get in the wintertime? Winter, well, now it's not as cold as where you're from up there in uh, New York. Yep. Our temperatures are, our daytime highs are lower. Yeah. Okay. So it's just because it's so much higher in the, in the mountains, you just have less. Yeah. It just never gets as warm. Yeah. It just never gets as warm. And in the summer as well, like our high temperatures, it'll be a hundred say down in Scranton, but up here, it'll only be 83. Gotcha. Okay. And then you get a lot of snow too. Yeah, we get uh, measured in feet. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So Stan, tell us a little bit about how you got started because um, I know you've kind of bootstrapped this from the ground up. Yeah, we start. Well, what happened was, is me and my wife were part of that uh, back to the land movement after Y2K. Uh-huh. Um, I was a part of that. My, yeah, my parents and, were, I guess, as I would that yeah. say. <laughs> And, and we kind of wanted to move out of the, t- like out of town and get a piece of property in the mountains. And so we did. Um, what we didn't know was that the property we were purchasing wasn't necessarily perfect for agriculture. Mm. It's uh, it's a stony mountaintop. Yeah. So I, I, I went to the auction as an example, I went to the, one of the mud auctions and I bought a plow Yep. And, and I hooked it up to my little tractor and we went 40 feet and I snapped the shank off of the plow. <laughs> um, so that means that you had to do something different. Yes. Well, 
we did make a little garden, you know, I, I, we added compost and we, we, at the time we were keeping goats. So we had plenty of compost and plenty of manure and we worked at that and we picked the stones out and, you know, we had a, a small 30 by 60 foot garden, like house garden. Um, we also raised pigs and chickens and had cattle. Um, but we were really looking for some way to that we could make money on the property and, and with the livestock, our, our property is only 13 acres. So it kind of doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, um, with, and with it being so cold, uh, chickens aren't ideal either. Absolutely. So then you, you, and you, now you actually have some outside production and is that just brought bringing in a lot of soil building up with a lot of compost or how are you making that work? Yeah. Well, what we don't, actually don't have a lot of outside um, production. Most of our productions inside our outside production is probably only maybe an eighth of an acre. Okay. And what we, what we do is we bring in um, mushroom compost, which is uh-huh. available here in Pennsylvania, very cheaply. Um, and we just put six inches on top of the ground and plant into it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense right yeah. there. All right. So let's talk uh, tunnel production. So you, when did you build your first tunnel? My first tunnel was a, was a small little, um, it was uh, 12 by 20. Okay. And, and it mimicked after I, I was reading Elliot Coleman at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you could grow things in the winter. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. I, it'd just be nice to grow things in the summer. So I went ahead and made a little plastic, made it out of PVC. Mm-hmm. And it worked really well. And that first year that we grew tomatoes from eight plants, I, I got 240 pounds of tomatoes and I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what we did was, is, is we just made another greenhouse, another one that was twice as long. And then we did that for a year and we started a, a small vegetable stand out in front of the farm. And that did pretty well. We are on a, what you'd say, a quiet road. It, there's not a lot of traffic. Yeah. So our sales were kind of limited to that, but we were very happy. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happened after that is we used that money that we made from the vegetable stand to go to a hydroponic seminar by run by Crop King. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's where it lit my, lit my fire to try hydroponic. Yeah. So I say, okay, let me uh, find out about the, uh, hydroponic and I talk to them and I, I, I go to FSA to get a loan because they're the only people that are going to give you that much money. And, and the, uh, the loan officer for FSA um, actually talked us out of buying the crop King system only because she, if you looked at the numbers from crop King, we needed to have 92% sold. Oh. To break even. To break even. Mm-hmm. We didn't make any money yet. Yeah. So she said, if this doesn't work and it looks very difficult, you're going to lose your farm. Yeah. You know? And, and sh- we we did have the credit. We did have the equity that we could have done it. Yeah. But she stopped us and she said, you have to figure out a way to do it smaller. Gotcha. Because how many square feet were they looking with that system? That was... Um, well, 140 by 40. Okay. So, so is that like a two bay 000. or a single bay? Yeah, two bay. Yeah. Two bay by 
140, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, with those hydroponic systems though, they, they kind of up, I feel like they kind of upcharge some of the stuff. I feel like you could still get into a house that size and set up your own hydro. If you know what you're doing for a lot less than what they charge. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I and I would, I would tell anyone that's in, interested in doing hydroponic production to look into building as much of it. You can yourself. The, the systems are very, very expensive. Now they, it works very well, mm-hmm. but it's very expensive. And, and it requires you to, um, you're, you're like, I, I know a lot of the, the small farms you see, they worry about the cost of land. Well, when you start talking about greenhouse production, the cost of land isn't much at all. The equipment can, can really get expensive really fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you built your second greenhouse and then, so didn't you do a DIY uh, greenhouse? Yeah, for the hydro? completely. Okay. So what, well, well, we, what we did was, is we ended up getting a loan on our um, mortgage and our intent was to do just grow lettuce in the ground. Okay. When we got yep. that loan, because the hydroponic was far too expensive. So we'll just do that. And we started that. And we, we built a greenhouse. We bought three kits from Rimall nor'easters um and we just started we built one the the following year i had discovered on youtube for, um oh what's his name there uh mhp gardener he's mm-hmm. down and he does um he made a simple dutch bucket system for hydroponic growing so i i made that and i put that in the in the second house so okay. i started growing the hydroponic tomatoes in there and, and that, w- that went well. And then that winter, we found the um, suspended pot method or what people call the, the Dr. Cracky method of growing hydroponics. So we tried it out in February in a little garden window here in the house. Okay. And it went well. Mm-hmm. So we took and made a couple of those tanks and put them in that uh, in the first greenhouse right on the ground. We just made like I just took two by fours, lined it with plastic. Mm-hmm. Put a lid on top of it and saw it and waited to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And it worked. So, and it worked really well. So, we were able to then, um, like, at, we started going to markets at this point. Um, we started making a little money. We had a little money coming in. Yep. So, we were able to, to invest. And, and what we did with that third greenhouse is we made that in, um, all hydroponic tables, all cracky style hydroponic tanks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the, um, you've got the greenhouses and you're growing hydroponically and what are your markets for all of this? We have um, two markets in the summertime. They're all relatively local markets. We do travel about um 45 minutes to the farthest one, but we are pretty rural here. Mm -hmm. So um, town is, is 35 minutes away. So it's not that much further. It it would be, I mean, it's like the other side of the closest town. Um, And they're just local markets. Uh, We, we are lucky that we're um, right next to the Catskills and, and the Catskills are um, it's the playground of Manhattanites Uh in the summertime. So we do have, a large influx of um, vacation, if you want to say vacationers, but they do come every week. Gotcha. So they're shopping with you every single week during yeah. the season. Okay. 
Gotcha. And then uh, during the pandemic, did you continue to just do that or did you do any online sales? I know that you, I, I saw some players that you were actually trying to ship or are you shipping product too? We, we, well, we were shipping. The problem has been um, the postal service has just been atrocious. Okay. So we haven't like, I can't, it, I, I was shipping boxes. Now it was very local to people within um, like Northeastern Pennsylvania Uh eastern like uh western new york like very local but shipping boxes 25 minutes away were taking seven to ten days oh my gosh and and i'm (laughs) paying and you're paying for for the like the two-day shipping which would be okay yeah but it just didn't work so we'll try that again in the future but right now it's not possible yeah um our markets actually because of that that large Manhattan presence or New York City people presence, we're actually busier this year than in the past. Okay, because people got out of the city and stayed yeah. in the Catskills. That absolutely yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not just the Catskills, but also here in Northeastern Pennsylvania too. Uh-huh. There's been a, a there's I, I would say COVID has caused the same um, exodus of people that 9/11 did. Uh huh. Which is really, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's dive back into production a little bit. So tomatoes, um, hydroponically, what kind of yield can you get from, uh, let's say a plant for like a beefsteak tomato? Do you, do you measure that kind of thing? Yeah. You can, I, I would say our system is very primitive. We use a, um, like I mix the nutrient in the tank. It drains in the tank. It pumps from the tank up and then it drains back into the tank and, so we have a drain back system on a float. Um, our system is, we probably do 20 to 25 pounds per plant pretty easily. Uh-huh. Um, you can do as much as 40. Yeah. So ours is not like weird, but it's, but that house is very primitive. The only thing we have in there that you would say, um, like the only kind of functions we have is we have electric fans and gotcha. well, heat. we have heat, but it's, it's, um, it's not even well heated, really. Yeah. Now, remind me too. I think you're you're pretty rural, and you don't have a lot of great. Um, you don't have electric on the site, or is it? Is it? I didn't. We do okay. well. Put electric now. That was that was a big cost that we did uh, a year and a half ago. Okay. But when we built that greenhouse, we did not have electric, so it is all run. It's and it still is. All the systems run off solar power. Okay. So how big of a solar panel do you need to run that? Well, I have four 100 okay. watt panels. 400 watts. Okay. 400 watts runs that tunnel. Yeah. All right. And so that is that automated roll up sides? No, 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 no. I, I had it roll up sides, but the problem was, is it would, I like it, it ended up being a lot of work because you're going down there every, every morning, every evening, every morning, every evening. So what we did is I put in some solar powered fans. Uh Aha. Okay. And because you're so, yeah. You yeah. don't need a ton of, uh, of ventilation too, because of, uh, how cool it stays, even though, I mean, you yeah. obviously want to get rid of humidity, but it's not like it's again, the Hudson Valley where you have those hundred degree days. Yeah. Or like Texas heat, you know, yeah. we don't have anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about the crop mix? I know you've mentioned lettuce and I know you do that, uh, pretty much year round. We do lettuce and greens year round in the hydroponic production. Now here's an interesting thing. We do kale. Mm-hmm. And we do kale in the ground. Okay. It does so much for us. It's so much more productive to leave those plants mature and then pick every week than 
to harvest the whole plant. The turn and burn. Yeah. You know, it, it re and we do really well with that. It's, it, it's very profitable. Um, we also do, uh, inside the, inside the high tunnels, we do, um, we'll do a crop of zucchini early. Um, we do cherry tomatoes. We do, we've, we've done in the past, we've done green beans, mm -hmm. um, anything that, that, that we can get to market that, you know, four to six weeks early. Uh -huh. And we can, you know, I, you can say it can charge a little more, but it's not just charging more. You sell everything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when you're going into like here, I can have zucchini in June. Yeah. And everybody else is planting the zucchini in June. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it, that like that, that early start at market with more product. Yeah. makes a huge difference in profitability. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: Do you charge a premium price in the off in the early season? Not. I, I I use the same price all year. Am I more expensive than some people? Perhaps, uh -huh. but I don't. I think it's fair for a, a like say the zucchini. It'll be a, a like say five to seven inch zucchini, and it's a dollar and a half. Okay. So I mean, is that expensive? Well, maybe, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, it's a very high quality product without any blemishes and, you know. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about your, your position in the marketplace. You've gone in, so you're going to bring stuff in earlier. Do you then try to have it as long as possible as well? So go on the back end and have like tomatoes late into October, or do you tend to just switch up? Yeah, we do somewhat. Now I will say it's much easier to grow early in the season than it is to grow late in the season. I agree because we we it's cold but we have sun yeah Whereas we don't have any sun and we have no heat or anything so it's awful but like tomatoes are we we my wife and i had our last tomatoes in uh just about christmas time oh wow and yeah. we sold our last tomatoes oh maybe the 15th of december okay but now we did not heat that tunnel at all this fall Oh, wow. And so when what, it, we, what we did was, is we just closed it up. And then as the frost kept hitting, we would, we would pick just before that big next cold is going to come. And, yeah. And the tomatoes are a lot more frost hardy than the plants. Yes. Yes. And, and so that they can sit there a while and, and, and then we just picked them, put them in the, in, in our, our, uh, our storage building. They were kept at 45, 50 degrees and they slowly ripened over six, eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you end up throwing more than half of them away. Exactly. But, but at that, yeah. Yeah. But at that point, it, it doesn't cost you anything. Exactly. It's free money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So let's talk, we talked about the kind of production you do the, and then like roots, you also do some roots and that's, yeah. out, that's what you do in the outside eighth of an acre. Yeah. We do roots. Well, we also do some inside too. We'll do, um, we do carrots in the, we plant in the uh, August for winter harvest. We yeah. do beets for winter harvest. We do um, turnips for winter harvest. That all that, like it, it's what I want you to understand is we are a small market farm that we might only have in peak summer, 200 customers. Okay. But we have 150 customers all year round. 
Gotcha. So you're keeping every single week you're making that money. You don't have to cram it into six months during the summer. Exactly. Exactly. It's a big difference. I mean, workload is, is, is less, but it never ends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you're, you're only family run operation. You don't have any employees. No, no employee. We have had, um, which, which you'll discover as I, I know the young father that you are. Yeah. Um, when you have teenagers, <laughs> they prefer not to work for their parents. Yes. <laughs> so we actually have a friend of my son come in the summertime to help us. Like he'll clear the beds or mm-hmm. pick the, the cucumbers, you know, carry the big heavy bins. And um, my son was actually working at another farm that, that they produce chickens. So he was doing that. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. and he enjoyed that. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like it's, it's nice to give them an outside work experience. And um, like I have a, we, the local hardware store here, um, it's passed now through three generations and the, the parents have always told the next generation, you can't work here for four or five years after you graduate college, you have to go work someplace else. And yeah. then you can come back because they, they, they just believe so important. That's good to have that outside experience. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Let's talk numbers. Cause you're a real big, uh, around numbers and we've thrown numbers back and forth a number of different, uh, things. Uh, walk me through like what, where you're thinking and like, how do you go about deciding about a new crop? Well, what we try to do anytime we add a crop is I do it at the smallest level possible. Okay to where you can actually get a crop. Like we, if like, for instance, now we're trying a new um, red mustard. Okay. Okay. Now that red mustard, the seed is, is it, with hydroponic, the seed and the, the uh, fertilizer and all that, it's not very expensive. So it's easy, even in the middle of winter to just go ahead and throw something in and see if it works. Um, so we put it in and see if it grows well. If it grows well, then we try to sell it if, if we can sell it and the, the, there's customer demand, well, then we'll plant more. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not, um, I, I already, well, one thing to understand though, is I already understand my costs per plant hole in the hydroponic. Okay. So you break it per, down by plant hole per week, yeah. probably. Yes. Per, yes. Per week. So what we try to do is have a, um, we, tr- we have 5,000 holes. Yeah. We try to harvest them every five to six weeks. And so it's a thousand, 800 to a thousand holes a week. And if you take all of your costs for the month, your propane and your lighting and your and electric and, and, and then your cost of, of, um, like your fertilizer and your, yeah. your cubes and seeds, and you put that all together and just divide it by that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's, it's not complicated math that way where I think in this, I think in the soil, when you, you there's so many more variables. Yeah. Well, there's more variables and you can always like you, your bed might not be quite 50 mm-hmm. feet. It could be 48. Exactly. Or, or 52. Yeah. Where mine, I have 5,000. There's no more. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and the thing is like, you don't have weeding um, in the hydroponic system. And because it's in a greenhouse, you can really control the rain. So you're not dealing with the, the loss of, you know, let's say out in the field, you get 90% because you lose some of the rain or a, a pest eats it. Uh, like a, a well, I, or I will say we do get pests in the greenhouse. 
they're different pests. Yes. But we do get them in the greenhouse. Um, the big thing that I've found is, in, and, and it's, it doesn't have to be hydroponic. It's just as successful in the ground in a high tunnel, as long as you have screens or something. The quality of the produce is so much superior because there's now there's not no insect pressure, but there's a lot less insect pressure. Mm -hmm. So you can harvest 95, 97% of your crop in like that, like the kale I was telling you, we get from a 50 foot row, 25 bags a week for 26 weeks a year. Mm -hmm. And you do the math on that. Well, that's a lot. And you know, that adds up to a lot of money. You know, it's nearly 550 bags. Yes. Yes. And that's that like what's say three to four dollars a bag? Yeah, four dollars a bag. That's okay, so you're looking at what twenty two hundred dollars. And how big a bed was that? And that was a fifty foot bed. It's not even fifty feet, really, because yeah. it's a it's a forty-eight foot tunnel, so it's probably forty-four feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's the difference is is you want you like everybody wants to look at the cost of the tunnel, and yeah, it's expensive, but if you can sell the crop that you produce you'll make back your money in that in one year yes exactly well yes yeah, so that's uh that is fifty dollars per bed foot in yeah. that and then probably per square foot um is it a four foot wide bed probably we, it, yeah i have they're uh, 42 inches yeah so then we're looking at twelve dollars and fifty cents per square foot and then you break that down over 26 weeks and that comes out to be 48 cents per square foot per week in that house yeah which is awesome. And you only plant it once. So your labor is incredibly low. It's basically for the 25 weeks, it's just about harvesting. Yeah. And, and you check on the crop and you, you, yeah. you, you know, but yeah, mostly it's just harvest. And even that it, it early on, it's difficult, but as they get taller, you don't even have to bend over anymore. Yes. Yeah. And I've <laughs> seen those palm trees. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, you know, pests, pests, then how do you manage those in the greenhouse? Well, because we're hydroponic, you're, you'll find this funny. We're hydroponic, so there are literally zero conventional um, sprays or pesticides, like or, or her, like pesticides available for hydroponic production. There's almost none, so we are relegated to the um, what you'd say like ORMI, where yeah. there's no label restrictions. Gotcha. Okay. Do you ever bring in any beneficials? We have used beneficials in the past. They haven't worked well for us, I think, because our houses aren't very well screened. So I think they end up going outside. Yeah, gotcha. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. Okay, so they they pop in, they look around, they maybe eat something, but then they head outside because it yeah. looks more like wild and free out there. And yeah, so they get like blown out by the fan. So yes. it's, it's yeah. not ideal. Um, in the wintertime, I mean, we've tried a lot. Like we last year, I must have bought, oh, probably 8,000 ladybugs over the course of, Mm -hmm. a month and 
I don't I didn't see any ladybugs in there after after a couple of weeks. So I don't know where they went, but they went away. They they found a better place. Um, we do do uh, use like integrated pest management where I will never spray the same spray twice in a row, like the same active ingredient. Okay. okay. And I try to break that up by like every third or fourth time. Okay, so let's say you're spraying Pyganic, then you're moved to like Spinosad, and then you go to maybe um, uh, one of the other ones and then go back. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll use, now I don't use the Spinosad, most of, uh, unless you buy the very expensive one, it, it's it's not labeled for inside yeah. a greenhouse. Yeah. Um, and and I, there's only so much cost. It, the, the, the high quality chemicals get very, very expensive. Um, so they what do. I try to do is I'll use a Pyganic, then I'll use a soap okay. with Azagard. Yep. Then I'll use, uh, um, like a, a, a bio treatment, like from Marone. Yep. Um, and then maybe I'll go back and, and then maybe I'll just do a soap again. Yeah. And then maybe I'll, then I'll go back to say Pyganic again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing too, with that is it, with rotating, it's really great because you're just uh, making sure they don't build up resistance because yeah. unfortunately, even in organic, they, some of these, these cool chemicals that came out you're like, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. We've got this organic, like Spina said, it was amazing. But then within a matter of years, because it was overused by some of these massive farms, the resistance built up incredibly yeah. fast. And so and, that, yeah. That, and you'll find, I mean, it happened like one of them are like spider mites. Yeah. Now, spider mites, they breed so quickly that you almost, it's, it's almost better to take the plants out and throw them away because, because, yeah, you're not taking all you're doing is suppression. And the problem that I have in, in the hydroponic is suppression doesn't really work mm. because I'm never not planting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. So then spider mites are mainly on cucumbers for you. Well, they'll, they'll start. Well, last spring we, we put in a crop of cucumbers cause it's nice to have cucumbers at market and we had yep. them in April. Um, but then come June, they get the spider mites cause they always get spider mites late in the season. And, and so then they transferred to everything else. Mm -hmm. So I had mm -hmm. spider mites on my, on my bok choy. I had spider mites on my um, Swiss chard lettuces, man. That's, that's crazy. And, and you can have to so much. Do, yeah. It, it like made it so bad that I'm never doing that again in the greenhouse. Yeah. 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 Now was it, did it go from greenhouse to greenhouse too, or did it just stay no, in the one greenhouse? No, not thankfully. No. Yeah. The only other spot we get that we have the uh, spider mites is uh, eggplant and eggplants yeah. call them from a hundred miles away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not, I, we, we never found a huge demand for eggplant, but um it's one of those things you always get those few people that really, really want it. So mm. we'd end up growing it. All right. Let's There's talk a lot of Italians. Yes. I can yeah. imagine. Yes. Yeah. Where you guys are. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. So then how do you and your wife divide roles on the farm? Do you guys have very specific parts that you guys focus on? I think somewhat, somewhat like I do more of the, the uh, like periodic work where I do more of the checks that check on things in the morning and in the nighttime or um, I also build everything where her primary, she more like does the, uh, 
primary sales at market. Now I'm at the market with her, but I'm more the stock boy. She's doing the sales. Yeah. And then she also does all the seeding. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So she's more of the inside the business and you're more of the, um, you know, like the innovation and, uh, and new build outs. Yeah. But when we harvest, we harvest together. And when we're planting, we're planting together. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so, you know, starting into this, you seem to have started like very methodically as you started building greenhouse after greenhouse after greenhouse. When did it go from homestead to, oh my gosh, this is the business and we'll be full-time at this one day? That was when we decided that, well, honestly, when we, we bought the three big greenhouses, that was the big switch that I finally figured out a way that I thought it could be possible. Mm -hmm. I was willing to invest that money, whether it worked out or not. Gotcha. Yeah. And then it, we went full time. Well, I had an off farm job. My, my wife never did. She was the homestead wife, um, raised our children, um, and that was a year and a half ago that I, I left my job. Gotcha. So now you're full-time on the farm. Well, that's awesome. Yes. There's not that many farmers that can say that their full livelihood comes from the farm. Uh, so what would you say the hardest part of being a farmer is for you? For us? Um, I, you know, Michael, I really enjoy it. I, 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 this was, I looked forward to this dream of being able to live on my homestead mm for 15 years. Well, I guess 13 and a half years because it happened a year and a half ago. Gotcha. So I, I, I think it's great. It's fantastic. Gotcha. I, yeah. I, I feel I feel so completely blessed that we get to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if you could go back to like when you started, would you do anything significantly different? I think the big thing we would have done differently is I would have pushed myself to to get out there more and get into the bigger, better markets earlier. Mm. Because when we first started, we were almost timid to, to get into those bigger markets. And until you get into the bigger markets, it's very difficult to make enough money. Yeah. Because you're just not making enough sales per hour of selling to actually be profitable. Yeah. And, and going to what we're not good markets. Like one of the markets we started out was a, it was, it's a flea market. Yep. And, and we would sit there for seven hours and make a hundred dollars. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I remember those days. (laughs) And so I said, we can't do this anymore. So then we found and we worked and we got it. And now we're in probably um, comparatively um, they're the biggest markets in the region. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and what was, how did you get into those bigger markets? Was it just applying again and again, or was it showing that you had something different and could do it at a different season than somebody else or? A little, all of that, all of okay. that. Some of the markets now, the, the, our winter market, our big winter market now, that market's exceedingly difficult to get into. And we only got into it because we can grow lettuce in the middle of winter. And even that it took, us going to other markets in the local area and getting known by the vendors yep. there. Yeah. And then they, then they're okay. Yeah. Well, you can come in then. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to earn your place. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Yes. Which can be really, really tough. 
Yeah. I remember that was for us and our markers. We started the exact same thing, you know, a, a local gra- gas station parking lot where, you know, some weeks we lost money. We, you know, we made five bucks and the stall fee was seven fifty. So, um, but it took us a year or two to get into the Glens Falls market. That was the first market. We broke a thousand dollars in that, in that first summer. And then the Saratoga market was the year after that. And we were really lucky to get in. And I always say we were lucky to get in because we looked at what was being offered at the market and found three crops that they didn't offer and then said we would grow those three crops. Yeah. Yeah. And then two years later, we dropped those crops. We get some of those crops because they were no longer profitable, but we had gotten our foot in the door and uh, it, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, it was an incredibly large part of our business. Yeah. 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 It's, it is, uh, it it makes, it, it makes going to market a joy when, When, and then and now that we're established, it's much simpler. Like when you were talking about the new crop, if I bring a new crop and you suggest to your customers, hey, you should try this, and they just do. Yeah, exactly. Don't have four, I don't have 400. I have maybe 25 to sell. Exactly. And like that, that's, you know, something too, like right now we're, we're, we're doing right now, the only crop we're really producing is mushrooms because that's an indoor crop for us. And um, because we're not at a retail store or not at a farmer's market, we are always having variable production. It makes it very hard to sell out hundred percent all the time. Um, so that's the beauty of that farmer's market is you can, only, as you said, only bring 25 and probably move them all because you have a much larger sales volume you're moving through there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that is the one nice thing about the farmer's market. Now, some people there, there's, I think it's just like, I know there's a big uh, move away from the farmer's markets for a lot of the, the new farmers, because you have to go to the market. It takes a lot of time. And, and when you're starting out, it is much more like those, those bad markets than the good. Markets, yeah. Yeah. You know? But if, if we stuck it out and now it's incredible, we can't, we almost can't bring enough stuff to the market. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're absolutely right. And I know that Yeah, you're right. The aspect of having to go every single week. And um, I know because too, some people move to completely to like home delivery. Some of the farms actually don't want to go back because they're just doing so well with home delivery. So I'll be very interested to see if that lasts, you know, after the pandemic, after the pandemic's over, which looks like it's uh, going to, going to disappear this summer, then, um, you know, I wonder what will happen after that. And, and this for these farmers. Yeah. I, I, It'll it will be interesting to see because it's a it's a although if you can sell it that way that's fantastic it, it's it's not unlike the CSA model it, it, which is good which is yeah. good if if you can if you have the sales and and well, you have the ability you, like you have to grow it if you're doing the CSA yes it's all about if it's right for your farm too yeah. so yeah. Let's talk about new farmers because you've now been for a number of years, you know, working uh, this farm. What would you say the biggest mistake that you see beginning farmers making is? I think they tr- they try to do too much too soon. Mm. It's it it's not it, it like any business. It it it's very rare that you're going to be the, and the instant success and very profitable right away. Mm-hmm. It takes time to to learn the skills you need to learn how to grow everything successfully and then how to market it successfully. And I believe for most, they should keep that second job or they should keep a job until they get established. Mm-hmm. Now, now I, I, I know a lot of people don't like that and I wouldn't have liked it either. But as a, a middle aged man starting a new business, I had three kids, two in high school. I couldn't just leave work. 
I yeah. had to, we had to make, we had to get to where we made enough money. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to get the cash flow coming in. And uh, so in that first year, you st- how many, like, do you recommend a number of crops or just, you know, a certain size of the farm? I think, a, I think size more so than, the, than the, um, grow what you want to grow. And if it grows well, grow more. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't know what's going to do good for you. Some things do good for in some areas and not others. And, and it, it, grow what's, what's, what's profitable is what's easy to grow and, and it does well for you. And mm-hmm. that's what's going to be profitable. And then learn how to sell it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your lights because you guys do LED lights, correct? Yes, yes. We have, um, I, I basically designed the light and um, from imported Chinese parts. They okay. are... Um, they're not terribly reliable because the parts that you can get are not terribly reliable um, as far as the LED chips themselves. Um, but to this, they're very inexpensive to build. And I, for me, they cost less than $100 to build a light that if you were to purchase would be somewhere around $900. Gotcha. Okay. So you've just so, done. Yeah. Now that makes total sense. Yeah. And I don't really share the design online and a lot of people, I get questions about it all the time, but they're not really designed to be used in anything but a commercial setting properly hung where you can't touch it. Yes. It, it, yes. It, like it's not like it should be properly grounded and it, it, they're, but they work and yeah. we can get growth all year round. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, with that, are you just sourcing like the parts off Alibaba? Yeah, actually, just eBay. eBay, okay. AliExpress. You know, um, yep. most of the, well, like I said, it's really the only part that that's sketchy are the the, the LED chips. The, yep. Like I use an American-made fan, or at least American sourced. I don't know. It, it's an American company. Yeah. And I use the 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 heat sinks. I use are just big aluminum box so that there's nothing special about that and and but the chips themselves they can like this year the first set i made for the other greenhouse i had no errors one chip went bad this Mm -hmm. year i've replaced out of 180 i've replaced 70 chips oh wow so yeah but that's the you know somebody makes a really good chip in china then somebody knocks it off and then somebody knocks it off and now i'm getting the fourth one Yes. You know. Yes. So yeah. now I have to go and source a better quality. Of yes. This, you know, exactly. That's just kind of how it is. Now, how important do you think that light is for your production? I would not have any production. Well, what it would be too expensive to heat. Gotcha. Without the yeah. light. Like it's um, basically my, my crop turn is averages six weeks. If I was to not have lights in December, it would be 10 to 12 weeks. And yeah, you'd have to have twice as many greenhouses. Yeah, it just doesn't, well, and then your heating and the math doesn't work anymore. That's why a lot of the hydroponic, even locally here, they almost don't grow in the winter or what they'll do is you turn the heat down real low so you're not using a lot of heat. Yeah. And kind of muddle through. Yeah, it's kind of like what we did. It's more like a stockpile system. Yeah. 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 No, uh, now I will say this. I the first year that we had the 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 hydroponic tables, we did not heat at all. Okay. Okay. 
um, not we didn't even have a heater in there and we harvested it until about January. And then I planted again in April and in April here, we, we still have snow. Yeah. And like the lows were in the teens, that kind of thing. And I got a crop for May for May 15th. Wow. So, yeah. And, and so the, um, I don't know of anybody that grow that has grown at scale sub freezing hydroponically. Yeah. That's very unusual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because most everybody uses pumps and everything, but ours doesn't have any pumps. So it doesn't matter if it freezes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now you guys also do some microgreens. Are those grown hydroponically or in soil on trays um, or she uses, uh, no, that's the wife's, the wife's yep. business there. She uses pro mix. Okay. And, and basically just a hydroponic nutrient, but weakened it's 50%. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, your favorite farming tool. My favorite, it's, you're going to, you're going to laugh at this, but honestly, it's probably the computer mm, because okay. we get so much information from your Facebook groups, for instance, yeah. um, from YouTube, from university studies that, because like I said, there's not a lot of information for small scale hydroponic production available. Mm -hmm. Like you literally have to, like, if you can read Dutch, you yeah. can get some, but, but all that's much bigger scale. Mm -hmm. It's not at our scale. So it, some of it applies, some of it doesn't apply. And so it's very difficult. Like I'm reading studies from the 1960s. Oh, wow. And, and because that's all that's available there. And like, I, I know in the organic space, they complain that there's not a lot of help for the organic growers. Well, there's, it's not available for us. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot I feel for the organic. Yeah. I, I feel like I would love to see more research dollars go into it, but I'm still blown away by how much we do get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like, you know, there is that information out there, but it's all being tied up by these massive companies like Crop King, which are trying to, are really putting a stranglehold on getting that information out. Well, yes, there's that. And also I, I the other big, if, if, because we in the hydroponic space have farms that are just as big as Dole, mm -hmm. uh, you don't realize it, but they are, their products are all over the grocery stores. You just don't know it's grown hydroponically because they don't tell you, yeah. but um, that they, they see it as, um, intellectual property. So uh -huh. they don't want to share. Yeah. 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 You know? And so it's very difficult to get any kind of information. Yeah. Yeah. We almost hired someone that was working at, um, the cook's uh, garden up outside of uh, Cleveland. Yeah. And, uh, just talking to him and he, he was really helpful, but there he was like, he was always have to think about like, what can he, one of the things we talked about was like, okay, I know you came from a place where the R and D is serious. You know, what can you, and can't you share? So we obviously had to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but the amount of research he was doing for that company just blew my mind. I mean, they were shaping plants by using nutrients and different intensities of lights and how they place them. Oh, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's the, the different, the, they literally can make the plants taste different by mm -hmm. the different frequencies of LED light. So they make it sweeter or more bitter or more, it, it'll have more carbonoids in it. So the, their marijuana is stronger to, yeah. because that's, I mean, it's, it's insane. The, the tech that like how technical you can get. 
Yeah. And I but think to the same token, a lot of the information is super technical. Exactly. Yeah. And if for most farmers, that's, you don't need to get there, especially um, because people aren't going to appreciate that difference. I mean, obviously they're selling to chefs and chefs do appreciate that, you know, that, that very, very minute differences, but the, the most consumers aren't going to really uh, be able to, to, to see that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, uh, Stan, what else would you like to share? Anything else before we head out? Um, no, I don't think so. I, 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 I just wanted to say that I, I appreciate all the, the work you do for the small farms, Michael. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's a, again, it's a passion of mine. So yeah. I enjoy looking at your guys' pictures and seeing how you guys are doing things every single, uh, all over the internet and, uh, and appreciate you sharing. You obviously, you definitely make me step up my game. <laughs> so anyone that challenges me is good. So I appreciate that. Well, all right. Good to talk to you, Michael. All right. Again, Stan, thanks so much for coming on. Bye. Bye. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Next week on the podcast, I am going to be interviewing Alyssa and Chase, who are from Woodland Valley Farms. It is an amazing interview. We dive into all the different enterprises. They are a very mixed farm doing a high dollar a week CSA and providing like a full diet CSA. So uh, join us as we chat all about farming. We get real, we get raw about how they started their farm, the struggles they had along the way and what it takes to build a profitable business. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.